preached if we truly believe and adhere to what we just sang, that he is everything and his authority is supreme in our lives. We welcome you here tonight to the services of the University Church of Christ. Appreciate those who have led us in worship so far and thankful to just have a small part in that as we investigate from the Word of God uh, another prayer in our series uh, on prayer on Sunday evenings. If you will, open back up to Matthew chapter 6. Uh, we're spending a couple of weeks here. Last week we talked about the, uh, the prayer of instruction as it pertained to what it said about God, and tonight we'll continue that and we'll talk about what it says about us. Before we do that, though, I need to mention a couple of things. One of those is, if you've looked in the bulletin and noticed the announcement uh, for some time now about um, the unplugged activity on Wednesday with the youth, uh, about 5 o'clock, and then eating about 6 or 6.15, and then singing with the college at 7 in Bible class. We are in need this week and the next few weeks of volunteers to fix a meal for our youth. May not that you can fix the meal if you want to just donate, and we could buy pizza with that or something like that. That would be welcomed as well. Just let Teresa know, or you can see Brennan, you can see myself, and uh, maybe we can get those things uh, covered um, this, uh, this week for the next few weeks. And if you have any questions, you can see one of us about that also. In addition to that, you should have received an email this week uh, with this week's bulletin, probably on, on Saturday morning. If you did not receive that, uh, then we probably need an updated email address for you. And I know there are a couple we need to change already anyway, and so if you didn't receive an email with this week's bulletin in it, you should be receiving one on a weekly basis. Maybe check your spam folder first and see if it went automatically there. I don't know necessarily why it would, but it happens sometimes. But uh, we would love for you to receive that and have an update and maybe a heads up on some things that are upcoming that you don't have to wait for Sunday to find out about. And so if you didn't receive that, uh, let the office know. Give us a good email address. We can at least double check to see if we have the right one for you uh, if you didn't, didn't get it. You know, I think we probably will ask on occasion, so when is it going to be about me? How many times do you hear, I know you hear it a lot from me, that worship's not about us. And Christianity is not about us. And our prayer life is not about us. We've said that over and over and over again. The question might be, okay, so when is it about me? Because Christianity is not just for everybody else, is it? And it's not just for God and honoring him, although that's the, the, the crux of the matter and, 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 and the finality of it. But at some point, it is about me. It was created for a system that I could live in and I could be obedient to and that would bless me. Well, if you've been wondering that through the course of the last 10 weeks or so, we're here tonight. Because this section of this prayer that Jesus taught his disciples to pray is all about us. He has prayed your name, your kingdom, and your will. Once we have firmly established that God is in control, that his will needs to be done, that he is sovereign and supreme, that his reign will continue to increase and increase until he has put all enemies under his feet. When we recognize that, then we turn to him and say, now, based upon that recognition... And that understanding, I need you to give me and forgive me and deliver me. The second half of the model prayer is all about the people sitting in this room tonight. It's all about what God wants to do through the provisions that he has made for us. It's about how he wants to bless and how he wants us to lean upon him and trust in him and desire from him those things that we need. And so... For the remainder of our time tonight, we'll just look at those three things, that, that those three divisions of the second half 
of that prayer and notice what they mean to each one of us. Number one, give us. It is a, it is a prayer of sustenance or of provision. He says in verse 11 again, Give us this day our daily bread. Now I believe the reference here to the idea of bread is encompassing of all physical needs of life. Bread was a staple of their diet. In fact, it was so common to the Jewish community that it would be included in their their meal in memorializing the death of Jesus. It was not something that was hard to come by or difficult to find. It was readily available even in a time of poverty and difficulty. But the idea of bread represented everything that we need. Remember, Jesus said in, in the temptations of the wilderness, man shall not live by bread alone. He wasn't referencing just bread as food there, but by physical needs alone, by physical desires alone, but his, his life was deeper and greater than that. And so he says, pray your day, uh, give us this day our daily bread. There are a lot of things that are encompassed in that request. Not just the totality of the physical blessings we have, but of the daily need to ask God for them. If we were in our modern culture and our planning ahead and and, and and bundling things, if we were to pray this prayer in a modern way, it might be, Lord, give us this month our monthly bread. That way I don't have to come back until next month and ask again, and I've got the month taken care of. You know, there, there was a time when, when you had to, to go to the grocery store, the produce section, more often maybe than we do now. Now we buy in bulk, and we store up for those things that will last for weeks or even months at a time, and, and, and we buy in, in, in great quantities. And so we don't think about the daily necessity of life. I believe those that prayed this prayer in the first century were those who perhaps didn't have a job that allowed them to purchase in bulk or to have in, in for weeks or months down the road. But, but they would be day laborers and they would get wages, sort of like the, the parable of, of the vineyard owner who went at various hours of the day to bring laborers into his vineyard. They were just at the mercy of anyone who needed work and he would pay them what they were, what they were worth at that time and hopefully they would provide food that night on the table for their family. Those individuals were taught to pray, give us this day our daily bread. There's something significant about that. Lamentations Chapter 3 and verse 23 says that his blessings are new every morning. That there's a need to, to, to have dependency on God on a, on, a, on a daily basis. Israel probably, the emphasis in this from a theological standpoint is the memory of Israel receiving the daily manna from heaven and having to go out and, 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 and gather that up. Only on one occasion of the week would they gather more than they needed for that particular day. But on a regular basis, it was as if they were saying to God, give us this day our daily bread. We're going to pray prayers like the Lord wants us to pray. We're going to have to do so regularly and daily. We're not going to ask in advance and store up the blessings and, and live off the reserve. But rather, we're going to approach God on a, on a daily basis regular basis there's a song that we sing sometimes in our youth song books called father god and there's a line in that song that says father god just for today the emphasis in that song is not that i wouldn't ask you tomorrow it's that if just for today if that's all i've got if that's all i have if that's all i can 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 get i'll take today if nothing else and i believe that prayer is reflected in the prayer here in matthew chapter six give us just for today our daily bread doesn't mean that God wants us to be unconcerned about the future, but it does mean he doesn't want us to have anxiety. You notice how 
Matthew 6 ends, the last 10 verses. Any clue about what all that's about? You just, just browse down through the rest of the text there. What's the last 10 verses of Matthew 6 about? They're about anxiety about tomorrow, right? In fact, he says, leave tomorrow for itself because the troubles are enough for tomorrow that you don't need to bring them into today. Well, I would think from this prayer, so is the bread for today. Enough. You don't have to worry about tomorrow's bread until tomorrow. And then I trust that God has the ability and the desire to bless me tomorrow. There's a great measure of faith. Suggest that we pray, give us this day our daily bread. The second division of this prayer is forgive us. It's a section about sin. The first is about substance and the second is about sin. Forgive us our debts. As we have forgiven or also have forgiven our debtors. Now, we've compared this prayer to that in Luke 11, where he's similarly teaching the disciples to pray. But Luke uses a different word here. Luke Luke uses the word for sin. But Matthew uses a more descriptive or a, 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 a picture, a word picture for sin. He uses the idea of debt. It reveals to us and explains to us that sin is not just to miss the mark, but when I miss the mark, I then am indebted to the one I've missed it to, that that I owe him something, that that I'm responsible for a debt, as Oren talked about this morning, that I'll never be able to pay off, that I'll never be able to pay back. And so what I have to do is like that, that servant did, is I have to bow in mercy before God's feet and before his throne and say, just release it, just forgive it. I don't have it to offer. I don't have anything to make up for it. I don't have anything to take it away. I'll, I'll return the favor to someone else, but I won't be deserving of this. And I, and I won't even be able to work out a, a, a plan that pays it off over the course of a lifetime. You add that, that number up in that, that parable in Matthew chapter 18, and I remember Dan Winkler saying one time that it was the debt of five lifetimes. If you were to take every penny earned at a denarii a day over the course of of a 70-year of a, of a life, it would take five lifetimes working from the time that you were one day old till you died at 70, and you saved all that money. Then you might could pay the 10,000 talents back. And without seemingly batting an eye, the master says, the king says, okay, out of compassion, I will forgive you. That's what I'm asking for when I bow before God and say, forgive me. I'm not saying forgive me for one sin. Or for this category of sins. But rather everything that I've ever done. And in reality everything that I ever will do. Because the line of communication stays open. And I can go back 1 John 1, 7 through 9. And I can pray this daily. Just like I ask for daily bread. I ask for daily forgiveness. And God is there in abundance. To forgive me. Day after day. Time after time. I believe that this part of the prayer. Stands out from the the text to be extremely important and I would dare say maybe even in the the eyes of the readers more important than the other elements. And I say that because the only part of the prayer that Jesus adds an explanation to at the end, because the prayer is over in verse 13, but he adds in the context an explanation of what it means to forgive and what my responsibility is in 14 and 15. And in the chapter previous to that, he's already said that if you know that there's all between you and your brother and you're standing there ready to give your gift, leave your gift and go be reconciled. Forgiveness as it relates God to man is important, but forgiveness as it relates man to man is important. 
And I need to be aware of that and the preaching of that when I, when I pray this prayer, Father, forgive us. Forgiving our debtors is proof that we have been forgiven. Now, don't misread this or, or see this as something more than it is. This isn't a sixth step to salvation. It's not here, believe, repent, confess, and be baptized and forgive your neighbors and then you'll be forgiven. But the idea is this, is that it may not demand that I be saved, but it can prohibit me from being saved. It will not necessarily grant me access. What I'm saying is, I can't go to God at the end of time and say, listen, I was never baptized and I was never faithful and I never gave money and I never gave time, but I forgave people and so I get to go to heaven because you said if I forgive, you'll forgive. That's not the emphasis, but it is this. I can do all that other stuff and I can live it every day of my life and be a person who holds grudges and doesn't forgive and I can be turned away from heaven's gates. I can be not allowed to go in. That's the seriousness of this. Forgive us just like we have forgiven others. You know, the idea of debt is important because debt, debt d- describes a relationship and, and a friction and a tension to where we're locked in. I, I, have you ever been in debt to anybody? Maybe you're in debt to somebody or somebody's right now. And you're locked in that relationship with them. And you'll be locked in that relationship until the last payment is made, Right? And, and, you, and you maybe along the way begrudge that relationship and you're bitter about it, but you're locked in to, to that agreement until the release payment has been made. I hope that we could think of that that way when it comes to the relationships that we have on this earth and our inability to forgive. You know, I can choose not to forgive you and God will still do that. God will still forgive you. And I won't cause you to lose your soul because I haven't offered you forgiveness like I should have. But I can keep you locked in a relationship of bitterness and anger and frustration for the rest of our lives together if I'm unwilling to be one who forgives my debtors. If I'm willing to to carry that note for the remainder of our time together on earth. It's not the way God operates. It's not what God wants. It's not what God desires. And it's certainly not what God offers to us. He then in turn simply wants us to act like him and be willing to release the debt of our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, our family members, our friends, and our community members. Forgive us. And then number three, deliver us. Deliver us. It's a prayer of security. Security. If if verse 12 is the highlight of the prayer because it's talked about before and after, Verse 13 has to be maybe the most curious part of this prayer. Deliver us, or lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And here's the reason we can trust that. For yours is the power and kingdom and glory forever. Amen. But I know if I read James chapter 1 that God doesn't tempt man to sin. Temptation doesn't derive from him. And so why am I asking God to do something that, that he's already said that he won't do, that he can't do? And then I've heard this explanation, and perhaps the most common explanation is that I will ask God not to allow my trials that I do suffer at his will or, or desire, that I might be perfected and, and purified and, and chastened as his child, that I not let those trials turn into temptations. I still think you have a little bit of a tension problem there between James 1 and this prayer. But look at it again. You know, the punctuation was added by, by the translators, and you don't have a lot of that, that kind of idea in the Greek. It's more on, 
on tenses and, and word usage and arrangement. But suppose we were to read verse 13 this way. Lead us, or, yeah, lead us, not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. You see, this verse is about direction. It's about a pathway. It's about a walk. Lord, I'm going to follow you, and what I'm asking is that you will lead me into those things that provide victory so that I can avoid those situations where there is defeat. Lead us not into temptation, but rather into righteousness. The, the, the end of the prayer is the deliverance, not the avoidance of temptation. The negative there is just a, a comparison or a contrast to where they want to be delivered. A man who's delivered in victory is a man who has to, doesn't have to worry about temptation. A man who's delivered in victory is a man who doesn't have to worry about the evil one because God has been his security and his strength and his stability. There was a prayer prayed by many Jews early in the morning and late in the evening that said this, Bring me not into the power of sin and not into the power of guilt and not into the power of temptation and not into the power of anything shameful. They prayed that morning and evening. A reminder of where they ought to be and where God would lead them if they would just trust in him. Now, I mentioned that these three requests, give us, forgive us, and deliver us, are all about us, but they're all about everyone else as well. As asked to me this morning by an individual as we were talking about this, this prayer concept about praying for for everyone in the congregation and praying for those, not just those who are leaders and not just those who are preachers and not just those who are youth or parents, but being able to pray for every individual in the congregation and, and have it be more meaningful than just saying we pray for everybody. In particular, this individual had in mind those that struggle. And, and we, we are that sometimes, aren't we? It's the person who, who's struggling in, in fitting in or, or, or attaching in a congregation or struggling with a particular sin they haven't made aware to other people, struggling with, with, with the burden of life, with the uncertainty, with the doubt that comes with living in a, in a, in a time of trial and difficulty. So here's what I would say. Notice this, is not, this statement is not give me, is it? It's not give me my bread and, and, and forgive me my sins and deliver me from, from my problems, my, my, my defeat but us. So this becomes a congregational prayer. And so I think it would be good for us as we pray individually this week for the congregation to remember not just the age demographics as we pray and to remember not just the, 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 the position levels as we pray, but maybe more than any of that to remember the spiritual maturity levels in every congregation. We have new babes in Christ that assemble here every week. Some of them were baptized a year or two ago. Some of them were baptized five to ten years ago. And the growth process has taken more time. Pray for them. Who needs, who needs more prayers to be delivered from the evil one? The mature in the congregation or those that are weak? Probably those that are weak. So let's pray for that. Now, I know that we can pray generally and we can pray as a whole and we can apply that and God understands that, but, but since when are we trying to cut our prayers short? That hasn't been the emphasis of this, this class and these sermons at all, has it? It's been give me more to pray, give me more to say, give me something specific to pray, okay? Here we go, let's pray for the new converts, the weak Christians, the struggling families, 
The person considering leaving the faith and leaving the Lord, and, and because of the percentages of life, there are folks in this room right now that are there. And I may not know that. And I may not know which one it is. It may be a person who stands up here on a regular basis or occupies a position that we would assume is strange. Or someone who, who's disengaged from those around. I may not know their name, but I know their plight, and I can pray for it. Deliver them from the evil one. If there's someone struggling with the concept of forgiveness and of getting along, hopefully we don't know that. Hopefully we haven't seen that or heard that. But there's more than likely those here that are. Pray for that. Whoever that person is, give us a congregation that's united together. And we can only be united together when the debts of, of, of stubbornness and anger are forgiven and released. And let's pray for that. There might be people here who are struggling financially. Maybe not to the point of day laborers in the first century who don't know where their next meal is coming from. They don't have the same in their bank account as many of us do. Let's pray for them. That the financial burden of their life might be relieved so their spiritual life can thrive. So they don't have to worry for their kids or their grandkids about where insurance money is going to come from. Or gas money is going to come from. Or tax times come around, how taxes are going to be paid. Give us, forgive us, and deliver us. Now, I think there are some barriers, and I'll, I'll share this with you, and, and our time will be done. I think there are some barriers to praying this prayer. Number one, if I'm lazy, I can't pray this prayer. Because when I ask the Lord to give me my daily bread, he's probably going to give me something to do to earn it in this life. A job to do, a task to fulfill. I want a paycheck, but I'll be employed to get a job to do so. And so when I ask the Lord to give me, I'm going to have to work. And if I'm lazy, I can't pray that prayer. If I'm an individual who's hard-hearted, I can't pray this prayer. Because I've asked the Lord to forgive me, and I'm unwilling to forgive others. The parable that Orrin talked about this morning and the illustration found in this, in this same chapter says to us, he will not do that. And if I'm someone who flirts with sin because I can, I can't pray this prayer. Lord, deliver me from the evil one, but I'll get as close as I can to him without going over the edge. I need to be a person then that draws spiritual lines in my life, is willing to forgive others, and will work hard for what God's going to give me. And if I'll do those three things, I can pray this prayer all day long for you, for this congregation, for the weak, for the strong, for the young, for the old. And it can be all about us, only if it's already all about God. If we can pray your name, your kingdom, and your will, then we can pray, forgive us, give us, and deliver us. Can you pray that tonight? Is that prayer on your lips and in your heart? And if not, what will it take to get it there? If you can't, it's probably a sin problem. Maybe a sin problem that's between you and God, you and someone individually, you and, and, and a group of individuals that need to be worked out. Great, work it out. But before you go to bed at night, be able to pray this prayer. But maybe you can't pray this prayer because of a... a a pervasive problem in your life that's been noticed by the church and the church would like to help you with that, to encourage you and surround you and to pray with you and to pray for you. Whatever your need is, remember that prayer may not be the ultimate goal in life. There may be things you want more. There may be things you desire more. But I'm convinced, if not more even than when we began this 12 weeks ago or so, that there's nothing that's going to help us more in all of life and the ability to pray 
and to thank God, to request of Him, and to praise Him. If you can't, let us help you tonight. We ask you to come while we stand.